All right. This morning, we find ourselves in a transitional state, finished with Zephaniah. And before we dive into the book of Revelation, I wanted to take a little bit of time to preach to a few issues and topics that we have. Mark, it's interesting, some of your comments this morning in the scripture verse that you use for the call to worship, because that's actually part of my text um, this morning. Obviously, God's got us thinking on the saved wavelengths this morning in some respects. So this morning, we're going to open to the book of Micah. Yes, I'm still in the Old Testament. I enjoy it. But I've been reading through Micah, actually, at Mark's suggestion a while ago. He wanted to start reading through some minor prophets, and we started with Micah, and I've been in Micah a long time. Um, but Micah 6, we're all very familiar with Micah 6, 8. Most of us can quote Micah 6, 8 from heart. If not, work on it. Micah 6, 8 is a great verse. This morning we're going to focus on the context of it, but also verses 6, 7, and 8. There's a lot here, and actually verse 7 is honestly what spurred my heart to preach out of this text this morning. God has done much in the lives of his people throughout the years and throughout the history of mankind. And God continues to work in the lives of his people, those who are yet to be called his people, and yet those who are called his people. And in the midst of the chaos of our culture and in the midst of the social issues that are being brought up on a daily basis and in the midst of the arguments and in the midst of the petitions and the people holding fast, there's a great question that Micah describes here for us that we need to take to heart. This morning's message is, do we delight in the Lord? And that comes out of a heart of obedience. It comes out of a heart that's willing to yield itself to the Lord God. A heart that's not flippant to come into worship. As Mark brought up this morning, a heart that's, not, that's willing to look at the sun for a short period of time, but knowing that it'll burn your eyes, you don't stare at it. And yet, when we come to the Lord who created that sun, who shines greater and brighter than the sun in its full strength, we come flippantly often. We come before the Lord in our own strength and in our own manner. The book of Micah is a unique book. It's written as a contemporary to the book of Isaiah. Micah came out of a much poorer upbringing than Isaiah did. And yet his words are strong and they ring true even to today. A lot of the issues Micah dealt with are the same issues we find today. The church worshiping in its own way. The church coming to the Lord on its own terms. The church coming to Christ with their own idea of what will satisfy and delight the Lord. God in chapter 6 is in making His case and indicting Israel on the charges of their apostasy. He's calling Israel back to understanding what He has done for them. And out of that understanding of what He has done, He has brought to them an understanding of what He has called them to do. And that is where we find ourselves in Micah 6 this morning. Is this is Micah questioning the Lord on behalf of Israel. What shall we do? How do we come before a great God? And God gives his answer. And God gives his answer as what has always been his answer. It does not change. Read through the Old Testament. Read through the New Testament. God's answer never changes. What God requires 
is what delights his soul. And we will look at that this morning. So if you're not there, go ahead and turn to Micah chapter 6. And we're going to start in verse 6 and read through verse 8. And it says this, With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings? (coughs) Excuse me. With yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Let's ask the Lord His blessing upon His Word this morning. Keep your fingers in Micah because we're going to be building the context of the book surrounding other books in the Old Testament and also the New Testament. But let's pray before we do. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can come this morning and delight knowing that your presence is here, that we can delight knowing that we are called children of God, knowing that we are your servants and slaves, knowing that you have given us the capacity to love you because of your spirit, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your wisdom that you share with us. And Lord, even though it is such small wisdom that we might understand it, Lord, we just ask that your Spirit would give us understanding this morning, that you would spur and stir in our hearts a desire to please you, a desire to delight in who you are, a desire to delight in your Word, and a desire to obey it. Father, we just ask that as we walk through your Word this morning that you would just continue to speak to our hearts that you would continue to speak to our minds and our spirits, that you would sharpen us, that you would humble us in your presence, and that we would go away from here changed by the power of your spirit and the power of your word. Lord, we just ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Micah, here we are, before we get into Revelation and before Mark preaches next week. Micah starts off with a question. With what shall I come to the Lord? And he starts off with this question, not because Micah is actually confused, and not because Israel is ignorant of the fact of what God has already ordained that they should come with, but in answer to the question of God's indictment. God talked to his people in the beginning of chapter 6, saying, Hear now what the Lord is saying. Arise and plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Listen, you mountains, to the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth because the Lord has a case against his people. And Micah starts with that premise of setting up what God's issue is with Israel. And God's issue with Israel was that they were continuing to walk in idolatry. They were continuing to walk in the ways of the nations that surrounded them. They were continuing to walk in the ways of the people amongst whom they lived. They allowed the Canaanites to live in their land. They allowed the Canaanites to continue to dwell among them. They continued to trade with them and to take up their, wife, their women for their wives and give their sons to their young daughters and their, and their daughters to their young men. They continued to commit spiritual and physical idolatry. Over and over, Israel continues to turn from the Lord. But if you look at the end of verse 5, God says he's calling them back to the understanding of where he has brought them out of and what he has done. And he says this, so that you might know the righteous acts of the Lord. 
Israel was steeped in a rich history of God's blessing. They had God's blessing as He brought them out of the land of Egypt. As He gave them a fertile and a fruitful land. As He gave them His name to dwell in their midst and His physical presence. He gave to them the law. He gave to them the testimonies. He gave to them all that He required of them. God did not withhold what He expected from His people. God did not say, worship me, but figure it out on your own. God did not leave them wondering, how do we approach this God? But the one thing that we find is that Israel, even knowing what God required, continued to do things out of a heart of routine, out of a heart of obligation, out of a heart that was hardened by the practices of the nations around them. They continued to imitate those who surrounded them. And today's church finds ourselves in a very similar situation. We know by God's grace and by His Word what God requires of us. And yes, He does have requirements. We know what God expects of us. What did Jesus say? If you love me, you will obey me. That's pretty straightforward, right? Cool. So we have a basis to start from. But we find ourselves copying the society and the societal norms around us. We start pulling on the characteristics of God that we find amiable, that we find comfortable, that we find desirable. God is love. God's unconditional love. Therefore, I can sin and not worry about it. God is merciful. Therefore, I can live a life of wanton pleasure and not worry about its consequences. Acceptance. We can accept sin because God has already covered it. We pervert the justice and righteousness of God for the contentment of our own hearts. And God is not pleased with that. And our society continues to dwell on the things of what is best for me. This is the same spot that Israel finds themselves in. It's interesting how history continues to repeat itself. How, as Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun. And so we find ourselves needing to ask ourselves this question. With what shall I come to the Lord? That starts with a great question, because it starts with the premise of who man is. What do I, as a man, have to bring before the Lord that is pleasing to him? I have nothing. I have nothing in and of myself that is good. I have nothing in and of myself that is desirable to the Lord. Do I come with obedience? It's because of Christ's Spirit. Do I come with a love for God? It's because of Christ's Spirit. Do I come with an understanding of His Word? It's because of Christ's Spirit. See where I'm going with this? The perpetual goodness in my heart, the ability to understand God's Word, the ability to love others with the love of Christ is only because of what Christ has done. And it's only ever been because of what Christ has done. That's why God receives the glory for everything. So if I can't bring anything in and of myself to the Lord, what shall I bring? This is what Micah is getting to. What shall I bring? I know that God requires something, but what is it? He starts with a great second part to his question. And he says, And bow myself before the God on high. How often do we find ourselves bowing ourselves before the Lord? What is bowing a picture of? What's a bowing a picture of? 
Humility, maybe? Submission? Worship? How many times do we read in Revelation where John goes to bow himself before an angel and the angel's like, whoa, hold up, don't do that. I'm a servant like you. You can't read the book of Revelation and not find that many, many, many times. And it wasn't because John had a heart of idolatry. It was because John was trying to worship correctly and trying to figure out how do I handle all this stuff that I really can't quite grasp. But Micah brings up the question, how do I come before the Lord and with what do I bring? as I bow myself before the Lord. And he starts with a great premise, humility. Humility is what we bring before the Lord because we see ourselves in the light of who God is. When we see ourselves in the light of who God is, we see ourselves for what we are. Sinners needing a Savior. Sinners needing to be washed and cleansed by the blood. David understood this, and he said, Lord, wash me with hyssop. Why? So that I might be clean. David understood the significance of his sin before God. If there was ever a man whom God also described as a man after his own heart, it was David. Why? Because David was quick to repent and quick to turn back to the Lord and to trust in him for all things. Are we doing that? Good morning, sir. Are we doing that? So Micah starts with what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the guide on high? He starts with the understanding of God has an expectation. God has a requirement, and it is our job to figure out what it is. It is our job to obey it. But it's also our job to worship rightly. As Mark again brought that up this morning, how we come before the Lord, not just on a Sunday morning, but anytime we come before the Lord, do we come before the Lord with a right attitude? Do we come before the Lord bowing our hearts low because of how great he is? We serve a great king. How many times have we seen movies where people come in before a a big king and they're always like they bow down and, oh, you know. Well, do we do that? We serve a greater king than that. Do we show humility and admiration for who God is? Or do we not? Then Micah presses a little further. Micah goes back to the book of the law, to Leviticus, to Deuteronomy, to Exodus. And he goes through and he said, Shall I come to him with burnt offerings and with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? It's a great question. Because Micah goes back to the law of the Lord, to the word of God that was spoken through the prophets through Moses, and through those forefathers who came before him. This is what God says we are to do. God says we are to come to him with sacrifices. But it's interesting, because the sacrificial system wasn't wrong, but it was never intended to save. The sacrificial system was there to teach the Israelites that they were in need of something greater, because the blood of animals will never satisfy the wrath of God. It will never satisfy the requirements for my sin. But he asks us, he says, and what shall I come with? With burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? The sacrificial system was there as an outward expression of the inward trust and dependence on God's grace and mercies. Walverd Zuck said that of this verse. I'll read that again. It was good. The sacrificial system was there as an outward expression 
of the inner trust and dependence on God's grace and his mercies. Israel understood that the sacrifices of animals was not sufficient. So why'd they do it? Because God promised if they obey and live in obedience and worship him with their full heart and trust in him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, he will provide the way. As they came and continually offered sacrifice, they trusted in God's faithfulness and God's promise that if they obey and if they love him, that he will provide a way out. That God will provide a way to satisfy the need of their sin to be washed away. So does God take delight in sacrifice? Well, let's read some scripture. I told you we're going to keep our fingers here, but we're going to flip through some scripture this morning because there's a lot of scripture that talks about does God delight in sacrifice? And if he does or he does not, why or why not? Turn with me to 1 Samuel 15.22. We're going to kind of start at the back and work our way a little bit forward. 1 Samuel 15.22. Samuel is in the midst of rebuking King Saul. And he comes before Saul, and he gives him a rebuke. And in the midst of that rebuke, Samuel says this, verse 22, And Samuel says, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Samuel knew even at back in the beginning when Israel was just a foundling, was just beginning to start and strike its heritage in the land, that God, yes, while he required sacrifice, he delighted in obedience. God delights in the heart that delights to obey. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. Why? Because obedience is a love for the one they obey. Obedience is a reverence for the one that it adores. So while sacrifice was needed, obedience was greater. Well, let's see if that continues through Scripture. Psalm 51. Turn with me to Psalm 51. Talking about David, right? Psalm 51. Psalm 51 and verse 16. Now let's start in 14. We'll set the context. This is David after he was rebuked by Nathan. And he says, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. For them my tongue will, sing, shall, uh, will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. Verse 16. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. So if not that, what? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Again, a humble, lowly heart before the Lord. Why? Because then you acknowledge God for who He is. You make great the holiness and the greatness of God. Yes, it's good to obey and to offer sacrifice, but it's greater yet to trust, to obey, and to worship correctly. It's getting back to the heart of God for His people. To come to Him 
and repentance, to come to him expecting forgiveness because God promised it and God is always a keeper of his promise. David knew that God was the source of his salvation. It wasn't in the sacrifice. It was in what God was going to do and God's supply of his salvation. Isaiah chapter 1. We were there a little bit this morning already. Let's go back there. Thanks for starting with that, by the way, Mark. Isaiah 1. We're going to go back a little bit earlier than where Mark was at. Isaiah 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 11. For what are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle, and I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. So when you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of the assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen, for your hands are covered with blood. So Israel, in its outward obedience to the Lord, is continuing the sacrificial system. They're continuing to present their offerings, their incense offering, their wave offerings, all these offerings to the Lord. And God says, I despise them. Why? Because their heart was not right before the Lord. They were doing it because they were supposed to do it. They were doing it because we've always done it this way for a hundred years. We're doing it because that's just what we do as people of Israel. But they weren't looking at the heart of God. He says this, verse 16, Wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Remove the evil from your deeds. Uh, remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Here it is. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. So if God's not requiring and delighting in sacrifice, what does He delight in? To remove evil from the person. To get rid of our sin. To get rid of our iniquity. To put it aside. To be washed and to be clean. Then to do what? To do good. To seek justice. To reprove the ruthless. Defend the widow, or defend the orphan, and plead for the widow. That's what delights the Lord. Are we doing that? Turn with me now to Jeremiah chapter 7. It's interesting how these prophets all kind of seem to say the same thing. Must be they were orchestrated by the same God. Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, also had something to say. Verse 21 and 22. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat flesh. For I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God and you will be my people. 
and you will walk in all the way which I commanded you, that it may be well with you. Right there. God said, you're not my people because you sacrifice animals. You are my people when you obey me, when you walk in my ways, when you do the things that are pleasing. Now, the sacrificial system obviously was a part of that, but it was not the main part. Turn with me now. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10. We'll go to the Old New Testament book. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 10, verse 8. So verse 8 is a repeating of verses 5 through 7. And he says, the writer of Hebrews says this, After saying the above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which were offered according to the law. Then he says, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in the order to establish the second. By this will we have been sacrificed through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The old pointed to the new. The sacrificial system pointed to the need of a permanent covering. The permanent covering that God provides. It is very fitting that we read Genesis 3 this morning. Or as Mark, as you, as you read this morning, that Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with fig leaves sewed together. Again, man doing in his own strength what he thinks is right and what he thinks is pleasing before the Lord finds that he fails and falls on his face inadequate. And yet God, in a sacrifice, the first sacrifice recorded in Scripture for us, kills an animal and makes them skins as coverings. God provided, through blood, a covering that was adequate in his sight. Again, we look at the picture It is through God and through obedience to him and what he desires that is our adequate covering. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ, not the blood of animals. And I was reading in my devotions last night, which is actually really fitting because it fits really well with what we're doing here. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Jesus puts this exact idea as a command to the Pharisees. So we are in the midst of Jesus still calling his disciples and his followers, and he just called Matthew, whom we know was a tax collector and a sinner, right? Huh, how fitting. (laughs) I know I've never collected taxes, though. (laughs) I pay them, but I don't collect them. But he calls Matthew, and then he goes and he dines with Matthew and a lot of his friends. And the Pharisees, we know, are really put off by this. They're offended that Jesus would dare and go and be with sinners. But Jesus says this in his rebuke to them. Verse 13. He says, but go and learn what this means. And he's quoting from the book of Amos. I desire compassion more than sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Listen to that again. I desire compassion more than sacrifice. Christ was hitting the heart of the gospel. The compassion and grace and mercy of God for the blessing of a sinner. The Pharisees who were righteous in their own eyes and righteous in the eyes of much of Israel had a lot to learn. 
And God told them, go and learn this. And he quoted the Old Testament. Why? Because they were familiar with it. And again, he's showing them the fact that the Old Testament was written to show that he was needed. And that sinners needed a Savior. That the blood of animals was not sufficient in the sight of God. That God did not delight in the blood and sacrifice of animals, but delighted in the obedience and the love of his people. Micah is crying out to the Lord, for what shall I come? Do you take delight in these things? And then he hits on the heart of our culture right now. In verse 7, Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Now, child sacrifice is not new. And yes, that's what abortion is. It is child sacrifice on the altar of the God of self. I will not apologize for that statement. And in our day and age, abortion is not only legal in most places, but it's encouraged. It is taught in grade school. It is taught in middle school. It is pushed heavily in high school. It is not pushed, if you do not wish to have a child, then refrain from fornication. It is not pushed that in order to be delightful to the Lord, stay pure and holy until marriage. Why? Because God says the marriage bed shall be pure and undefiled. It is not pushed that it is a life. It is pushed that it is nothing more than cells that happen to mate and mix together and create something that eventually comes out like living human being made in the image of God. But we know from Scripture that God says, I myself knit you together in your mother's womb. It is God who is creating life. And oftentimes we fail to acknowledge the fact that it's not because a man and a wife come together that they create life. It is God that creates that life. God can close and make barren. God can open and make fruitful. God can knit together in only the way that he knows how. It is only God that gives life. There is nothing on this earth that can give life and sustain life outside of the blessing of God. Only God is the giver and taker of life. It is He who has all control. It is He who is that giver. And He blesses the righteous and the unrighteous alike. Child sacrifice was very, very real in Micah's day. And Micah was not saying, Lord, should I bring these things to you because I think they're okay? No, he was saying all these abominable things that man does trying to satisfy God, to try to please God in his own strength, turn out to be nothing more than abomination. Turn out nothing more than to be a false way to be righteous in your own strength. And he ends with the greatest abomination, to sacrifice the image of God on the altar of self. He's not condoning child sacrifice, which in those days they sacrificed to the God called Molech. In our day and age, we call it women's rights. So he says, Lord, what do we bring? What do you require? What do you delight in? And then he answers the question that he just said. And he hits at the heart of God that we are to imitate Christ. That we are to imitate the heart of God and walk with Him in harmony with His Word. To love Him. To be humble. To be pure. To be kind. 
to have pure judgment, to execute judgment righteously, and to have justice. Turn with me quickly to Proverbs 29. Solomon, known as the wisest man, spoke also to this fact. Proverbs 29 and verse 4. And he gives wisdom. And he gives wisdom here in stability of a nation. And he says this in verse 4, The king gives stability to the land. How? By justice. But a man who takes a bribe overthrows it. It is justice. And that word that he uses there means pure and righteous and right. It is just. And only God is just, so only God gets to find what justice is. Keep your finger there and flip back a couple pages to Proverbs 21. We get a reiteration of this. Proverbs 21 and verse 3. Proverbs 21, verse 3. To do justice, uh, righteousness and justice is desired by the Lord more than sacrifice. Again, God was not silent in the past what he expected people to do, his people. And so Micah for us here makes it very clear, cut, and dry again. Since the Lord has indicted you, Israel, on this charge, here is what you are to do. And he starts with four great words. He has told you. Micah points out the heart of God, that God has not been silent in what he expects of his people. God continues to shout from the rooftops, I have not been silent in what I expect from you. We have been blessed with the completed written word of God. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness and everything we need for a life of holiness and worship to him. He has given us a great picture of himself handed down through the ages, untainted by man, and accomplished by the act of God through men who are broken before him. And he's given us his word. So he says, he has told you, O man, what is good. And we know that Jesus said who is good. Only God is good. So God has defined goodness. How? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? He starts with the justness of who he is that we are to imitate him in that justice. Our country is corrupt. Justice is not justice. We had a long conversation about this last night. Mankind's justice is all based on self, on selfishness, on greed, based on what is best for me. But that is not how God defines justice. Well, if we were to do justice, what does it look like? And then Micah says this, to love kindness. And that word that he uses here for kindness is actually the only time in Scripture it's ever used, and it actually means loyalty. It means a loyal love. It is a love that is loyal to what? To justice, to goodness, to kindness, to humility, and to Christ and God alone. That is the love that God requires of his people, to love him fiercely with a love that is not compared with anything else on this earth. Whatever we love more than God, we have made an idol. And God says it is justice and loyal love that I require. And what does that require? To walk humbly with your God. Humility. The ultimate action of humility was for God Himself 
to come in the form of a sinful man. And then to be crucified on a cross as a criminal for being God and for being pure and righteous and holy and just. Why? Because man doesn't like to see his sin put up in his face. He doesn't like to see in a mirror what he really is, what his heart shows himself, what his actions and his words prove in his life. Man is uncomfortable with the holiness of God. Therefore, when the holiness of God came in the form of man, it was uncomfortable. Desperately uncomfortable to the fact that most people wanted to kill him. That most people couldn't stand him. That most people were uncomfortable around him because he showed them their deficiencies. That they were sinners. That they could not do life on their own. That they were not pleasing to the Lord outside of Christ. And that they needed to what? Forsake themselves. Pick up their cross and follow Christ. Humility to be like Christ. Christ-likeness is not fashionable in our culture. Even the church in America, by and large, does not like biblical Christianity. Why? Because it looks like Christ. It doesn't edify self. It doesn't put oneself up on a pedestal. It doesn't justify a lifestyle that we choose to live. It says, humble thyself before the Lord thy God. How many of us like to willingly be humble? I pray that I do more every day. Where are we at with the Lord? Micah leads us with these great questions for what shall I come to the Lord? What delights the heart of God? Do you know there are times in the New Testament when Jesus watched somebody And he was amazed. I'll tell you, some of the greatest words you read in Scripture was God was in amazement and wondered at the heart and the faith of a person. There are multiple times in the New Testament where Christ marveled at people. I don't know about you, but that's a great thing that God would marvel at the heart of who we are. That's the church that Christ wants the church that imitates and looks like him the church that follows after justice loyal love and humility let's pray heavenly father we thank you lord so much for the challenge of your word we thank you that even looking back thousands of years into your word that we can still see relevance for today We thank you that the message of Micah's day is still a relevant one for us today. And Father, we thank you that we have more completed answers than in the day of Micah because we have seen the finished work of Jesus Christ. We have seen with our eyes, as we have read through your word, the love and compassion and mercy and grace that you have shown to a people who are unworthy. Father, we just ask that we would make much of you We ask that we would walk in humility, that we would love justice, that we would defend the orphan and the widow, that we would be faithful to love others with the love of Christ, but, Father, that we would be faithful to confront sin on every level. Father, if there is one thing that was close to the heart of Christ when he was on this earth, it was confronting sin and loving you. Father, may we be imitators of Christ. 
And may we grow in our love and commitment for holiness. In Jesus' name, amen.